everyone, Mel here again with another episode of the Weekly Watch. I had a really busy week this time around and there's lots to talk about. So the cinema delights we have this week is Queen of Cutway, Lupita Nyong'o's new film. Then we've got the second part of the Jack Reacher series of films, I assume. Um, and last but not least, Doctor Strange. And that was one hell of a strange one. More on that later. But first, let's dig a bit deeper into um, the TV side of things. Ellie Larder's apps are back, which means pitch is back. And it was a really cool episode. They had um, the, the, the MLB swapperoo happening i don't i can't remember what they officially called it it's like when when every club in the mlb is kind of like swapping out players for other players players they want players they don't want trying to work with their new budget and and all that jazz it sounds really boring but they kind of had like um like a clock running like a deadline because all the players were so worried about having to upend their lives and move to a different city it, it was it was kind of bit disconcerting to see how they were just shipped around like like commodities um, I felt really sorry for them until later on in the episode Ginny is, is confronting the the GM and he's given her this whole load and it's like oh well we're we're paying them shitloads of money to play a kids game we're paying them shitloads of money so we have the right to upend them and move them around as we please until they finally earn their rights to be free agents or something like that where they then have their own right to go and be paid shitloads of money and then upend their lives however they damn well please. So it's it's kind of like a trade-off. You get loads of money for basically playing a kid's game, is what he said. And that means we're, we're allowed to move you around like chess pieces on a board, so get over it. I was like, all right, well, fair enough. Okay, I feel better about this now. Um, overall, not much really happened in the episode um, because not really a lot of people were upended and moved around um, one person was moved around and then moved around again and I think moved around like three or four times throughout the episode only to then end up where he left off at the Padres which was kind of funny the, the one thing that was a bit sad I guess is um, the uh, I think is it Timmy or Jimmy that the redneck guy that Ginny didn't get on well with um, at first he had a picture and then they kind of became friends. And he even introduced her to his wife and his his kid. And then all of a sudden he was he was traded for someone else and he, he had to leave. And Jeanette didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to him. It was it was kinda of sad. It was like, oh we started bonding and now you're gone. And we get um the best thing in the entire episode was what we learned in the flashback scenario in, in this particular instance. Um, it was about Ginny a few years ago um, she was just in, in the last stretches of, of playing that I think it was minor league she was playing I can't remember um, and she, she met a guy and they became friends and it was really really nice it was all it, the entire episode was like about friendship versus relationship versus you know all kinds of things um, and they were just they, they became really good friends and he had an alcoholic dad who wasn't really supportive, like Jeannie's dad was supportive of her playing baseball and stuff. And you, you find out all kinds of things and it's, it's really good, but I was like, what, what is this leading up to that she made a friend and then they had to move? But there's a real killer happening near the end of the episode because you find out, you know, a few episodes ago we find out how Ginny's dad died, how he died in the car accident um, from her last game, right? And she, she was there and in the seat beside him. And they had this horrific car accident and he, he died because of it. And this time we found out, we find out who was in the other car and how all of that happened. And I didn't, I really didn't see this one coming. When, when they revealed what had happened and who was involved and everything, it just, I was just like, no way. Oh my God, it really blew my mind. It was so well done. That that was kind of the highlight of the entire episode. It was totally in the flashback and, and how that reveal happened and, and everything that led up to it. It was it was really well done. I really, really loved it. Um, so that was a highlight again, even though I think this was probably the the slowest and, and less impactful episode that I've ever seen of, of Pitch. Mm, yeah, it, it felt like that 
the, the stakes weren't as high until at the very end you're like oh my god this is this guy actually killed Ginny's dad holy fucking hell it, it, it really ba basically made the entire episode turn around um, of course you you get some you know Meg Beardy and Amelia stuff because they're kind of darling some some stuff happening there he he ends up calling her a groupie by accident and Amelia is not having that so the interaction between those two is is really kind of cute and near the end Amelia is like I need to tell Ginny well someone basically tells us like you need to tell Ginny that you and McBeardy are a thing because if she finds out from someone else this is gonna destroy you guys and she tells Ginny and Ginny's like yeah I'm fine don't worry and then they part ways and you can tell Ginny is so not cool with this um, but there's some really funny scenes in there when uh, Amelia is is talking to her assistant and she's like come on just admit it that you know that me and McBeardy are a thing and he's like really surprised he doesn't know what's going on she's like, oh shit I just spilled my beans and you didn't actually know and just the way that she's trying to come to terms with her relationship with McBeardy and what she thinks of it it's kind of cute but it's also kind of like what the fuck is going on uh, so the entire episode was a bit weird all the different storylines felt very episodic it's not like they really came together and flowed really well so overall I think this is the worst episode of pitch ever and it's still a really good episode so there you go if you don't watch this show by now I really don't know what the hell you're watching I mean I watch a lot of TV but I watch pitch it's, it's really good I, I can't get enough of it like after I've seen this episode and it was it was over I'm like now what I need to see more I like the characters I want to I want to know what's going on I just finished literally just like a few minutes ago I finished watching The Fall on BBC iPlayer. Oh yeah, by the way, if, if you're uh, in the UK, you can watch it on BBC iPlayer. If you're in the US, you can watch it on US Netflix. The third season's now on US Netflix. So check it out. If you've not watched it yet, it's, it's a really good uh, uh, police procedural show um, starring Julian Anderson and Jamie Dornan. And you need to go and see this. This is fantastic. Like the, the third season is, is a bit more like slow pace because obviously Spectre is in custody and it's, it's this whole thing about he got shot at the end of last season and he's now suffering from partial amnesia. The whole thing is, is, is he actually suffering from amnesia? Is it a shtick so he's getting, he can get away with what he's done? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't really want to give the ending away. Um, the entire season only has six episodes. It's a BBC show. They're they're always really short. Um, most UK shows really are, but something happens in in this last episode that really shook me. There's some there's a very violent outburst that happens between two characters, and I mean I don't really shock easily. I watch a lot of violent stuff. I watch a lot of like gruesome and brutal and and gory stuff. I mean seriously, I watch The Walking Dead. Um, I've seen the season seven opener. Of course it shook me, but it's it's like yeah, you know. Abram got his his skull bashed in. I, he was my bet of person who was gonna who's gonna die. I didn't see the Glenn thing coming, so I was like whoa. But it's not the, the gruesomeness and the brutality of it that really shook me, even though that's really disgusting, what happened there. But I don't know, it's, it's more about the characters that, that, that it shakes me. So the, the brutality and the goreness, the goreiness, doesn't really bother me as much. So when this stuff happened on, on The Fall, it's obviously less gory than someone getting their head smashed in by Lucille. But still, it was so violent because it's just so... It was so unexpected and it was so realistic and the person that got violated I was just oh, oh, oh my god I, I literally I had to go back and watch it again because I was just not paying attention I was just like oh my god what the fuck and there's like all kinds of things happening and, and I was just like what and by the end of the episode something else happens and, and it's just wow this is how you're resolving the entire show it's such a good show but I can understand that some people might not necessarily like the way it ends I, I get that um, it's probably controversial to have it end like this but I don't I, I think it worked but yeah that really violent bit I was like holy shit that really got to me I I love the show I love the fall I was I was thinking it's like well 
I need more Gillian Anderson on my TV. And then I remembered she's in American Gods, which I think starts airing early 2017, or maybe it's gonna even air this year, I can't remember. It, it's imminent, it's only a few months away, I think, that American Gods star um, starts. And I mean, we get Ricky Whittle back, who I love, and we get Gillian Anderson in there, and there's, there's a lot of other people in there that I really can't wait to see. The show sounds awesome. Obviously, it's new game, and so must be amazing. I've never read the book, and and I've really, I've really tried my darnness not to be spoiled by anything. This is this is about. I really don't know what the show is about. I only know Neil Gaiman. I know some of the the people involved in front of the camera. I'm like, this this sounds really good. I can't wait to see it. So, even though the fall's over now, Julian Anderson's going to be back shortly. So don't you worry about that. So I'm I'm really excited for that. And last but not least, of course, I watch Westworld, just like I watch every week. Um, Westworld's kind of blowing my mind. Um, all the stuff that's happening there. It's like, I can't believe this is happening. It was like, oh, no way. Anthony Hopkins, you know, Ford, he's getting, like, seriously creepy. When he when he had, um, oh, what's her name? Not, not, not Eleanor. I think Therese, Teresa? He's inviting her over to, to have like a chat with him, dinner with him. And the, the creepiness of, of, of sitting Teresa down at a table that she was sitting at when she was a little kid. And it's just, he, he seems to, he seems to be Deus Ex Machina. He seems to be the person who knows everything about everyone. And he's got this weird like terraforming, seemingly terraforming, machinery like digging up up the ground and building something new and it's just like holy crap like it, it looked like out of a science fiction film and then later on i found out this is actually machinery that does exist um i think they use it for mining and and, and stuff like that but it's 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 enormously huge i think it's the hugest piece of of machinery that exists on the planet i think it's like a kilometer long or something like that it's, it's a monstrosity of of engineering genius basically but yeah th there was a lot of stuff happening that that kind of just blew me away so Ford knows everyone and everything and everything about everyone um, and it's, it's like he's obviously not letting on what exactly he knows he probably knows about Bernard and Dol Dolores you know and he's that Bernard's talking to Dolores and, and he told her it's like you need to find the maze and need to find the center of the maze because that's how you retain your freedom I said why what's at the center of the maze why would she be free is it like you know Eve biting into the apple and gaining knowledge what what, what is it and then the, this whole theory that some people have that William is a younger version of the man in black who's also after the maze right and Dolores now hanging out with young William but she also knows the man in black. So it's, it's like she's the link between between everything. So if there are, it's not being confirmed, but if there are actually those two timelines happening, it could very well be that Dolores maybe found the maze 30 years ago, which led to this, this supposed malfunction and problem in Westworld that happened 30 years ago that, that people mentioned in the pilot. And maybe the man in black 30 years ago he was kind of privy to that which is why he might be on the lookout for the maze we, we don't know what's gonna happen but yeah I'm I am so intrigued by this maze and what what what's it mean what's at the center of it why, why is the man in black after it? we don't even know Dolores doesn't really know other than Bernard telling her go there and you could retain your freedom whatever that means but I like that there are now two people after it so it's, it's almost like a, there's a race going on who gets there first and I like the idea that some people have mentioned that we are seeing different timelines in Westworld. I think once everyone reaches the maze, the man in black reaches the maze and Dolores reaches the maze, and we are, we're probably going to be shown that they're both there, but they're both there in different timelines. And how what Dolores does affects what the man in black does and the other way around potentially. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be mind-blowing. I can't wait to see what, what happens for the rest of the season. I think we're about halfway through. People are saying that the season finale is gonna blow our minds and I, I'm, I'm just like really like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what's gonna, what's gonna happen. And then once I've seen the finale, I'm, I will have to go back and watch all 10 episodes in one go 
because I'm sure there will be things where you're like, oh my god, I never even realized this when I watched it for the first time. And to be fair, right now I'm, I'm not someone who goes back and rewatches an episode two or three times and tries to pick up on things. I literally, I only watch it once and then obviously you have the one week in between and then you watch again. Um, there's so many things I'm not picking up on that I, everyone else is like, oh, did you notice this? Did you notice that? Screen grab of this, screen grab of that. And I'm like, wow. I'm not even doing all of that because I want to be surprised and then once I've seen everything then I want to go back and just revisit it again and go like no way all of the shit was there but I really don't want to I really don't want to do detective frame by frame going through the episode kind of a thing that's that's a bit too much for for my liking so yeah I I assume that there's the, the 30 year ago thing was was a huge thing it, it was mentioned in the pilot and it's going to play a huge part, I think, till the season end or in the finale. There will be something that has to do with that. And then also that, that little girl came around again, you know, who told the man in black about where he can find the next step to the maze. Um, something about the snake and then the lady with the snake tattoo showed up. And it's, it's just, it's, it's really mind-blowing how everything just comes together with the weirdest puzzle pieces. He's like, what, he's going to go and look for a snake? Oh no, he's actually not looking for a snake. He's looking for a person who has a snake tattoo. You've got to be bloody kidding me. It's it's fantastic. And this time the girl was around um, when Dolores was looking for the maze. So the girl is kind of like a little fact giver or quest giver. And I, I love it as a seemingly unimportant character. And she holds all this knowledge that you need. It's just the, the, entire, the entire show is so structured like, like a video game. When you're trying to, you know, put pieces together and puzzle pieces together, and it's it's just like what what's what's happening? Well, what, I can't believe it's like I was looking for a snake. I can't find the snake. Oh, the snake's on this woman's body because there's a tattoo, and she's inking it in with the people that she killed. Why why was she killing all these people? And it's just there's so much happening in there, and and this whole Arnold thing as well. Uh, something happened to Arnold 30 years ago. So he he must seriously must be connected to the maze and Dolores and the man in black and Ford and I think everyone else like Bernard and and Teresa and, and everyone else they're, they're kind of like on the periphery they don't really know what's going on it's like they're innocent bystanders and they're just being sucked into this vortex of you know whatever the maze is it's it's, it's absolutely fantastic I I can't wait to see shit really going down like when when we found out the man in black seems to be like um you know like a nice guy outside of westworld he has a foundation that seems to help people um which probably also explains why he's bloody rich and can afford to come to westworld for 30 years and you know get the the mega super uber gold platinum mega edition package um Maybe he's such a good guy that he just needs to be the bad guy in Westworld to, to just let out his dark side because he's such a goody-goody two-shoes in real life. Or, or is he? I still think that he's somehow connected to Ford. I think there's something going on there. Maybe he's Arnold and he left and he started this, this foundation that now helps people. And he's actually not trying to just help people, he also wants to help the hosts. I still think that the hosts are based on real people, you know, with all the DNA stuff that gets left in Westworld. I still think this is all based on that. Um, so I think maybe he's, maybe one of the hosts, maybe Dolores is, is made up of someone that he knew. So then there's also that picture that someone found of a lady in like Times Square or something. So I'm still waiting for a host to show up that looks like that woman just because I think that might be a connection there but yeah it's just like Westworld totally crazy absolutely bonkers I love it like the maze thing is seriously driving me insane I really want to know what the hell it is it, it's fantastic just to see that Dolores even though she's a host she seems to be kind of like she, she's going after a quest just like a guest would so I can't wait for her to break out of the, her shackles of being a host and actually becoming more more aware and and overcoming her programming and, and just like literally breaking out of her skin I can't wait to see what's next absolutely love the show it's driving me insane more so than Lost ever did 
Westworld, watch it. It's awesome. You're probably already watching it because this is all over social media. Westworld is not just a TV show, it's a phenomenon. It's, it's like Lost meets Game of Thrones or something. Everyone's talking about Game of Thrones and then people were piecing the, the Lost puzzle pieces together and, and Westworld is kind of both. It's got the hype of Game of Thrones with the whole puzzle pieces and theory comeuppance by everyone going like, oh my god, this is gonna happen. Did you see this? Rah, 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 rah. It's just crazy and I absolutely love it. Alright, enough of TV stuff. Let's talk about the films. Now let's start with Queen of Cartway because I actually don't think I have too much to say about that. Um, I, I was a bit surprised by how checklisty the narrative was of the entire film. Like the main reason I went to see it was I knew Lupita Nyong'o was in it. I like her. Um, she, I think she's a really great actress. Um, she's obviously um, the most prolific person involved in the project. I mean, you also have David Oyelowo is in it. And the idea of um, a, a young girl from the Katwe slums to come up and make it. Uh, obviously, you know, that that's like your heroic journey. It's like you come from nothing and, and you have pretty much nothing to lose and everything to gain kind of a thing. It, it was really interesting just to see, you know, the, air, um, the her environment that she lived in. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o plays her mother. Um, and someone once in, in the film also says, it's like, are you her sister? Because obviously Lupita is, is really, really young. And she has, I think, four children. She has, a, she has an older daughter who seems to be just causing problems. Then the younger one who is um, the chess master. And a younger son. And then a, like pretty much a baby, baby son. Yeah, there were actually four, four kids and she, she looks like she's barely 25. It's, it's really, really crazy. And she's just, her, I think her husband her husband got killed, something happened there and he's out of the picture. And she's just basically trying to keep afloat, taking care of four children on her own. And just seeing seeing Katway and, and how everyone lives there and, and gets by and how everyone is kind of, not necessarily fine with the way they live but you know you accept it because what, what, what are you going to do about it and then later on in the film uh, the girl gets um, introduced to you know like hotels and really nice food and nice bedding and nice clothes and and all of that and then she comes back later back to the slums and she has completely changed. She's no longer okay living in the slum. She's no longer okay helping out her mother, um, helping with the kids, helping with trying to make some money. Because um, they, they basically lived off selling maize. That's, that's what they did. They didn't eat it, they sold it. Basically seemed to just have had like one meal a day. And when they end up with David Yellowo and his little chess club, one of the things that David Yellowo's character does is he gives them a cup of rice every day. So the children will come back home and say, like, no, I'm, I'm satisfied, mother, you have the food. And she would obviously get very suspicious. It's like, why are my children not hungry at the end of the day? That's really weird. And Lupita Nyong'o then goes and find out, find, finds out why the hell her children aren't hungry. And, and she's basically making them no longer go there because she thinks David Yellow is a bit, bit dodgy. And it's like, well, fair enough, you know, it's don't, don't take candy from a stranger, don't take rice from a stranger, kind of a thing. But, oh, I totally forgot to mention what Queen of Cutway is about. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry, I assumed everyone knew. Alright, so it's, it's basically about a young girl who, who grows up in, in Cutway, which is a, a slum area. Uh, in Uganda and she doesn't know anything about chess and she's she's um, she encounters chess through uh, David Oyelowo's character and it turns out she's really good at it she immediately pretty much grasps it when someone explains the rules to her she's very good at thinking outside the box and stuff like that and the the entire thing is she basically I think she wins like a world championship of chess and she becomes really famous and that's what the story is about it's about this young girl who comes from nothing and ends up becoming a world champion of chess like a grandmaster basically 
Now that in itself is already a really interesting premise because you come from nothing, you have nothing, and then you, you end up in pretty much in an elitist group of people you know it's not really something even though when I was a when I was a little kid my my dad told me how to play chess I don't think I could do it anymore I'm not sure if I have the patience for it anymore but I remember when I was a kid that he would teach me how to play chess and no one in my school when I, while I was growing up knew how to play chess it, it was definitely a bit of a weird thing it, it was like an old people thing it was it was like an elitist school kind of a thing. Definitely not something that the general population knows how to play or plays. But it is something that's very easy, um, you know, to get a hold of. Obviously, also when, when you live when you live in, in poverty, you just need something that resembles a board and you need something that resembles pieces. And then you can play. Once you know the rules, it's all good. You're good to go. Um, and it was just really interesting to see that she didn't know anything about it. She was exposed to jazz by, by other people, had a knack for it, stuck with it, really wanted to, you know, get into it. It was more than just a game to her. And once they started going to proper schools and, and playing against people from, from, other, from other proper schools, because they didn't have a, a school, because they lived in a slum. So just just going getting over that prejudice because you're not even from a school and yet you want to enter this chess tournament you needed to raise funds to enter a chess tournament that's one of the really weird things that came up in the film because it's like obviously no one has money they're they're living in the slum they're living in poverty you don't have money to enter a bloody competition because you hardly have enough money to pay your rent or to even pay for food and then David Yellow's character just rocks up to a soccer game and just plays one soccer game it looks like and he makes all the money he needs to put to put through several of his children into this tournament and I was like, if it's so easy to make so much money just by playing one soccer game like, imagine all the other things that he could do I, I was just like really you you show up for one soccer game you make all that money it, it really bothered me it was really bizarre apparently there's something along the lines of He's got some some health issues or whatever, which is why he no longer plays soccer. His wife is giving him hell of a beatdown, basically a physical, uh, sorry, a verbal beatdown, and and just goes like, "Why did you do that? Stuff could happen. You're not supposed to play." He's like, "Well, I needed the money." Some really weird stuff happening in that regard. I, I didn't quite understand that in in the film. It didn't. It, it it felt like, oh, we need to get some money. That was the plot point. He probably did this in real life, but I'm 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 sure there was more to it than just showing up for one soccer game. But maybe for the speediness of the film, that's how they did it. It was really really weird. Um, they show up at the school, and then she's really good at she's really good at playing chess. She beats like the genius of the school. Who, who always wins the chess tournament. She beats him in, in the first round. That's kind of what it what was happening. And then from there she goes back to the slum. She has like a trophy or whatever. And then other things happen and she wants to be a grandmaster and she goes to like the she goes to the Uganda finals and then she goes to the African finals and and all of that. Like it it's it's very, very checklisty. It's like she, first she goes to here, oh she wins. Then she goes to here, and she wins. And then she goes to the next one, and she wins. You know this whole tournament thing happening, and in between you find out some stuff about her family, uh, about her sister, her brother, and then the hardships they had to face. Um, something happens to the brother that he he has to go to hospital, and obviously they can't pay for it, and they get evicted out of their house because they can't pay for it and all of, of, of kinds of stuff is, is happening there but it, it just felt like a checklist it, the film has no flow to it whatsoever it just goes from from certain milestones in her life that are important stepping stones to reach the end that's kind of where the film goes and in between it kind of falls flat I think if, if the actors weren't as good as they, as they are, it would have been a huge, huge problem. Because obviously Lupita Nyong'o, she's hitting this out of the ballpark again. 
she she's the absolute highlight i mean i like david Oyelowo as well he's really good but it's it's lupita that that really kind of elevates this film and her her daughter i mean the the girl who plays fiona the 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 lead basically the girl who is the chess grandmaster um i think she's called medina medina nalwanga um she's really good i i did enjoy seeing her she's very charismatic and the way she she brings across you know living in the slums and then later on you know getting used to the nicer things when then returning to the slums and going like where the hell am i living just this the disgust of i can't believe where i am um she's she's really good i i did enjoy that but overall it, i felt it really hard to care for her because it's, it's i think yeah it's because the flow just didn't happen i was like yes you live in re you live in horrible um surroundings and you live with your three siblings well sort of like two siblings because her older sister just buggers off because she shacks someone who has money and then comes back once this guy doesn't want her anymore and then she goes back to him when he does want her again and it's, it's, it's like all these these weird things happening there and i assume this happens quite a lot there because obviously yes you will go with someone who has money because you live in poverty and all you can think of is like oh my god if only i had money but yeah when when something happens to a younger brother and they have to go to hospital um he has to have surgery and lupita is there and she's approached by the doctors can we settle the bill now and she's like yes i'll be with you momentarily and then she goes over to her son and her daughter and she's like can you walk okay we have to go right now and they literally ditch the hospital the dude has just come out of surgery and he has to run away from hospital because they can't afford to pay the bill and then they rock up at home and the landlady is like where's my money and Lupita goes, well, where's the money from selling maize? And her daughter, Fiona, says, well, I had to give it to the guy who took us to hospital. So all their money was gone. The landlady immediately evicted them. They were living on the street. It was, it was absolutely horrible. Some of the stuff that they had to go through, really, really bad. And then the older, the older daughter shows up again and basically says, like, Mama, I want you to have the money. And Lupita is is too too proud to to take it until fiona's like we need this money and they buy a nicer house and and everything is kind of fine again and she gets to play her chess and and she gets further and further in the tournaments and everything is great and then as per usual something happens she doesn't do well in chess or so she, she she gets very very confident really cocky and overestimates herself and thereby loses and there's a really cool sequence in the film where when this happens, when basically her entire life just collapses, there's also a huge rainstorm happening and the shiny new house they have doesn't really have much of a roof because it doesn't really rain much over there, but there's a flood rain happening and the new house is at the bottom of the hill and it's literally the house is flooded from the inside out. The, the little boy is left on his own devices because the older sister buggers off because her beau is showing up and goes like I want you back sweetheart and she's like you'll be fine little brother I'll, I'll be back in a few hours and then the torrential rain happens and the little boy almost drowns in his house and it's it's just a horrendous sequence but the way that it looks it's just it's it's it stuck with you it, it's really really overpowering just like that flood it just everything is in the house is washed away and they have to start from scratch it's it's stuff like that that really stuck with me not so much that when she goes to the next stage of of her of her grandmaster tour um when she's trying to become a grandmaster she she really wants to do all kind kinds of things and and she's just like no i can do it i can do it and then she she even goes as far as russia she's just so cocky and overconfident and right in the first round someone knocks her out and and she's she just can't believe it and she loses her shit and it's it's just it, it's a really weird film it's it i don't even i can't even put it into words but it's, it's this whole because it's based on on real events it's, it's based on a person's life and who someone who comes from nothing and does everything and it's extraordinary that the stuff that she managed to do and it's, it's really really great what she managed to do but 
The way it is told, the narrative is so blocky and checklisty that it gets a bit tedious, especially after the first half, because you know that yeah, sooner or later she's gonna reach, you know, the grandmaster thing that she wants, and you know they're gonna be able to somehow get out of the uh, out of the slums, which which was kind of nice because it's it's her story more so than her chess skills that actually got them out of the slums because she I think she wrote a book or she sold her story to someone and they made so much money out of that that at the end of the film she managed to buy a house on a nice plantation where she then lives with her mother and her sister and her brothers and their life is great from then on it's it's a nice story of how to overcome your own self and, and make something out of yourself and how in the in the most unlikely places you can find a chess genius that's that's kind of the story but the way that it's been executed it it needs work I think it's a bit too long even though the film itself the running time isn't that long but it does get quite tedious and, and borderline boring if the actors weren't holding your attention as much as they do I think this film wouldn't really be as good as, as some people say it is like overall I did enjoy it I thought it was a really nice story I'm not sure whether I would actually recommend it to anyone to go and see it at the cinema it might be better if you watch it at home when you can live when, when you can sit comfortably in your living room have a cup of tea or something and watch it because it, it does take a while to get going and even though the, the first bits like the, about the first third I thought was really interesting when you get to know her surroundings and what she you know what kind of surroundings she lives in what her life is like and trying to overcome that and the prejudice some of the characters that the, the smaller characters in this film are really really well done the the first what was what it the, he, he's like the head of school or something like the, I'm not sure the principal or the, or the head of, of some chess chess organization or something like that. David Oyelowo has to go to him the first time that he wants his kids to compete in a chess tournament. And the guy's basically like saying, he's like, you guys don't even have school uniforms. You guys aren't even from, from a proper school. I can't have slum kids showing up here. That's ridiculous. And he's just a really horrible, despicable character. And he shows up a few times. And I just love seeing this actor having fun with this character being such an asshole I really love this character because he's such an arrogant prick um, and I think this is the the thing about the film is it's about the characters it's not about anything else uh, the, the the story is like yeah you know people come from nothing and achieve great things we've we've heard it before this one I loved because it was, you know, I've never even heard of Cutway. I don't really know much about Uganda. And it was nice to see something positive out of Uganda, aside from all the all the negative stuff that we hear in the news. And I loved the, the way it looked. It was really, very really colorful. And it showed you a side, of, a side of the world that you usually don't really see. And that's one of the things I really loved about the film. The acting is great in the film. If only the the narrative and, and the story, the plot, if that was a bit more flowy, you know, if that had more flow to it, if it wasn't as checklisty as it is, I think the entire film would benefit from that. Overall, I think it's definitely a film you can check out in the cinema. You can also happily wait until it's on video on demand somewhere or on Blu-ray. I don't think it needs to be seen in the cinema. It needs to be seen on the big screen at all. If you want to see good performances are great. If you want to see something a bit different than what you usually see, it's great. But it does get a bit tedious, so be wary of that or be aware of it before you go and see this. It's it, I don't I didn't find it easily digestible while I was watching it. And once the film was over, I was actually quite glad it was finally over because it did do it it did feel like it was taking a while. So that was Queen of Cutway. If you like Lupita Nyong'o, I think you need to go and see it. She was the main reason why I went to see it. Second was the second Jack Reacher. Now, me personally, I did like the first Jack Reacher. I, I never read the books. Surprise, surprise, I never read the books, do I? 
I love the the first Jack Reacher. I I do like Tom Cruise films in in general, even though I do not necessarily agree with Tom Cruise the private person. Um, but I usually like his films, and Jack Reacher was you know was the same thing. He he's he's a bit of an action star, Tom Cruise. So those are the kinds of films that he does. Um, Jack Reacher, no exception. The first one. I have to say right from the get-go, the first Jack Reacher is way better than the second one. This one felt a bit heartless. I'm not sure if you've seen the trailer, you know, you have Jack Reacher doing his thing that you see in the trailer, he's, he's basically um, getting a corrupt sheriff arrested. And then he just does his Jack Reacher thing and starts traveling across the US. Um, just like probably doing a few good things here and a few good things there. All the while he's in contact with uh, Kobe Smulders character who is a major in the US um, military police. I wanted to say the US Army but that's actually not right. She, she's the one who, who rings the phone that you see in the trailer. It's like this phone will just be ringing until you pick it up and she's gonna she's on there and she's like yeah we basically know what you've done and the sheriff gets arrested by the MPs. Um, and that sort of starts a relationship between Jack Reacher and Major Turner, uh, who is Kobe Smulders. And they have a few conversations over the phone in, in a montage. So it looks like potentially weeks or months have passed. And he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'll be making my way to Washington and we can have drinks or dinner or something. And I, I got really worried. Like, oh my God, they're giving Jack Reacher a love story. He's clearly trying to ask out this Major something. Oh my God, this is going to be weird. But as we know from the trailer, something happens to Major Turner. She's arrested when Jack Reacher arrives in Washington. And Jack Reacher being Jack Reacher, he wants to know what the hell is going on. Seems like there's some kind of conspiracy going on. The military police was investigating some weird shenanigans that was happening in, in Iran or Afghanistan with the armed forces there. And Major Turner was like at the top of that food chain. Stuff happens, they find stuff out, two of her guys get killed in Afghanistan or Iran, I can't remember. And she gets basically put in prison because they are framing her. And Jack Reacher, being Jack Reacher, he's like, no, she wouldn't do that. I'm gonna free her. So they hang out together, they go on the run together. Um, and they're basically trying to clear her name, find out what actually happened. And what I really liked about that, it's, you know, it's a story that you've heard millions of times before. It's nothing original, you know, it's nothing new. But I was really, really surprised because, you know, you've got, you've got Tom Cruise, you've got Kobe Smulders, and Kobe Smulders really managed to hold her own with Tom Cruise. And I don't know whether you've seen a lot of Tom Cruise films, but Tom Cruise, he's like physically really, he's really active. He's at the top of his game. You know, if you've seen The Last Mission Impossible, he's done some things in there where I was just staring at the screen. I was like, how the hell did they do that? Is that tricked? And then you look it up in a featurette or something. You're like, oh my God, he actually did this for real. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. And she holds her own. I was really impressed by that because that cannot be an easy feat. But like I said, the story is pretty much, you know, same old, same old. You've seen this before, but the way they do it, was, I thought was quite interesting. It's a decent action flick. It's nothing new, but it's also, you know, I was entertained from A to Z. They, they have some good banter going on. We also introduce a character which might or might not be Jack Reacher's daughter. She brings some sarcasm and levity to it some of the stuff that she does or gets to do is a bit on the cringy side but overall I think it worked but the entire thing all the three characters being put together it felt kind of forced so you know it's like the Bloodfather last week it's kind of a decent action flick but it's nothing to write home about you know you you might want to go and see something else if, if you're just rocking up at the cinema going like, mm, I want to see an action film, I don't really know about any of the films there. Oh yeah, Jack Reacher, I know that's an action flick. That's totally fine, go and see it. I thought it was quite entertaining. 
a lot of the stuff that happens there is a bit it's a bit forced it's like really oh this is only happening because it says so in the script um the action scenes though i thought were great um the, the fight scenes were great like the, the chases are great all of that the adrenaline fueled stuff i think in the film was really really well done forget about the story the plot is bonkers like it, it it's like the plot doesn't even need to be there it's it's just an excuse to have one action sequence after the next um one of the things i really loved about the film it didn't have a romance because when you start the film with with uh, jack reacher going for for um for the major i was like oh my god they're gonna force a, a love story down our throats this is gonna be really weird and awkward, you know. I don't want to have Major Turner hang out with, with Jack Reacher, um, not not in a romantic way. But thankfully, I, as far as I know, they filmed stuff like this, but it didn't make it into the film. There's no romance. There's no sex scene. There's no kiss. There's nothing. And I think that was the better choice. Um, I think Kobe Smulders was on, on a talk show um, recently, and she was saying that. They did film a sex scene. She filmed a sex scene with Tom Cruise, but it didn't make it into the film. And she's like, shit, was I that bad that you couldn't put it into the film? But I think it's definitely from the director's point of view, it's, I think it's the better option to not go for the love story because that would have made it really weird and awkward. You don't want to see a family, you know, two adults with a little kid. You want to see Major Turner with Jack Reacher kicking ass, taking names, finding out who's responsible for all this shit and then you know doing what Jack Reacher does is like fix shit you know he, he sorts stuff out and and then everything is like you know goody goody two shoes at the end everything is like happily ever after and that's obviously what you get you get the happily ever after on the way there good action sequences some like I said some banter some some fun in there as well and um, overall Unfortunately, it's it's just a decent flick. It's nothing to write home about. It's nothing that you must have seen. If if you don't watch it, it's not like you've missed anything. I really do like Kobe Smulders ever since I've seen her in the I think it was the first Avengers film. You know when she works for for Shield, works for Nick Fury. I really really like it. I mean, who doesn't like a woman in uniform? Any kind of uniform. Um, so for that it, it did work and I love that they gave her almost equal billing with Tom Cruise. You never felt like she was the sidekick and I think that made it really work. But other than that, it's just a decent action flick. It's not a highlight whatsoever. It's also not a low light, but it's not a highlight unfortunately. You don't have to go and see this. Don't don't overturn your plans for the weekend just to go and see Jack Reacher. I don't think you'd, you'd really like that. Now, last but not least, Doctor Strange. And that is the highlight for me this week. I, I love uh, the Marvel Universe, even though I am one of the few people who didn't like Civil War. And uh, I ran into one of my mates at the cinema and we started talking about it. And he's like, I can't believe you didn't like Civil War. And I'm like, I know. I can't believe it either. I just, I could write an essay about Civil War, seriously. I just didn't like it. But I also didn't like the second Avengers, and I, it, it's almost like we have an oversaturation of superhero films, so maybe that's what it is. But in general, I like Marvel. I'm, I'm not so much of a DC person. Um, I didn't like the Superman, uh, sorry, the, the Batman vs. Superman film. Uh, I, d I don't buy into this whole Marvel versus DC kind of a thing. I judge every film on its own merit. I don't give a shit what p part of which universe it is. I just look at it as a, as a standalone film. In the second instance, maybe, how it connects to others. So, Doctor Strange is a Marvel film. I don't know anything about Doctor Strange other than how he looks. I don't know the comics or anything like that. So, I know that Doctor Strange is more of like a mysticist kind of a thing, you know, with magic as opposed to superpowers, which is a bit strange uh, to me. Um, but you know, that's that's what it's that's what it's built on, which is fine. So you basically have Benedict Cumberbatch playing uh, Doctor Strange, 
He's a surgeon. He's a very successful surgeon. He does very um, non uh, not conformist. What's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't really do your usual surgeries. He does the stuff that's extraordinary. He likes a challenge. He's very cocky and arrogant. And I think he's, he's almost like Tony Stark. You know, he's very confident, cocky and arrogant, but he's also very charming, which is why you sort of almost forgive him how fucking arrogant he actually is. He's pretty much an arrogant prick. And when the film starts out, something happens to him. He is, he, he seems to clearly be a rich fucker. You know, he's, he's racing a really shiny car on, on his way to some gala or something. And a, around some mountain or hilly bends and you're just like, you're, the way he's racing and it's dark and, and all kinds of things, you're like, if, if you keep going like this and then he starts looking at his phone, I'm just like, you're gonna fucking smash into something. If he just makes this without the tiniest bit of a scratch, that's, that's you know, that, that's asking for a lot. And then, even though you kind of expect there to be a car crash, I jumped in my seat when he actually smashed into something. So, long story short, he has a car crash. He basically fucked up his hands, and he's a surgeon, so he's screwed. Um, he has irreparable nerve damage in his hands. Um, he basically can hardly dress himself, let alone hold a scalpel and do some really finicky surgery on someone. So his life is pretty much over the way he knew it. And he has a hard time adjusting to that, which is, which is understandable. You know, his, his hands are pretty much fucked. He, he's lost his job. He's lost his money because he obviously never saved any of his, uh, any of his salary. He was just like, you know, it comes in and he, he, was, he was spending it. And he reaches a really, really low point in his life because of all of that. And he doesn't know what to do. He wants the power over his hands back. He's a doctor, like a pianist. He's nothing without his hands. And it's, it's really heartbreaking to see what, what he's going through. And we have Rachel McAdams who plays uh, Christine, who is sort of, I'm not sure if she's like a love interest or, I mean, there was something going on between the two, but that was in the past. So I'm not sure if they're just friends or whatever it is. And she's, she's kind of trying to help him through this really, really hard time. But he's obviously, you know, He's self-loathing and pitying himself and, you know, he was an amazing surgeon and now he's nothing. So he's having a hard time and he's being a prick to her and she's like up yours basically and walks out of his house. So he's lost everything and everyone and he finds out about a person who managed to restore his body after having been paralyzed. And end of it all is that he goes to, I think it's Nepal where he then runs into David Oyelowo again. Yeah, he's in everything. Um, and Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. And they kind of introduce him to magic, to uh, astral energy and, you know, the whole, the chakras in your body and how you can transform everything and how there are so many different layers of existence and how, how very narrow-minded we are as human beings to only consider our layer of existence the only one. He basically learned magic there. And then we find out about a villain who also knows this magic. And they will have to fight and save the planet because this is Marvel Universe, you always have to save the planet. And this is basically the story. It's, it's an origin story, which is why we learn how he you know, how he came to become Doctor Strange, the the the, mag the magician, basically. And there's some, there's some really good stuff there, you know, where obviously everything is very effects laden. They wave their hands around in the weirdest motions, like how the, how the actors didn't feel really self-conscious and feeling like an idiot or a clown doing that, um, because the special effects obviously are, are added later. But the way it looks, the finished product, is really, really impressive. Like, there are fight sequences, everything in there, they, they, they fold reality upon itself and, 
and a house all of a sudden is on its side and folding in on itself and then it's and it's on on its head and things are crashing into other things and basically anything that you knew about physical reality and the laws of physics doesn't apply in this film whatsoever and it is it's mind-blowingly amazing like the special effects in the film are definitely the thing and watching it in 3d made it even more of a trippy experience i i assume this is what you kind of feel like when when you pop lsd or something it's just everything just goes whoa it is absolutely awesome the way it looks and in addition to the effects and um Doctor Strange learning all these these powers, which, by the way, he learns way too fast. You know, he just got there and he's basically trying to keep up with other people who've been there for a while and he just can't do it. And then all of a sudden he has... Because he, he has this thing about, my, my hands are fucked, I have no power. And then Tilda Swindon shows him a guy who doesn't have a hand and he still manages to do everything. And then Doctor Strange goes, oh yeah, it's, it's my own limitations that keep me limited you know it's, it's me thinking that I have limitations that keep me from achieving greatness and then once he overcomes that he learns everything really really quickly and he becomes so powerful that even people that seem to have done this for years or maybe even decades and are easily dispatched and killed by Mads Mikkelsen who plays the villain but Doctor Strange shows up and he holds his own against against Matt Mikkelsen and you're just like what the hell happened you just dispatched like a grandmaster but Doctor Strange is still alive that's ridiculous so him becoming mega super powerful happens way too quickly you don't really see much of a progression um, but I think that's just because you want to you want to fit it all in a two-hour film it's not easy um, to me it felt a bit too rushed and made no sense it was just that this is ridiculous but if you get over that that's fine one of the things I really loved about the film is how funny it is in the dialogue in in the in the stuff that we see on screen there's even some slapstick bits in there which I seriously did not see coming I mean you you have Tilda Swinton uh, basically introducing Doctor Strange to magic and everything and, and he's seen like this trippy astral energy and he, he had just had her tea and, and he's just like, what's in this tea? And she just goes on and says, it's just tea with honey. And the way that she, she says that, it's just tea with honey. It, it's, I, I thought it was really hilarious. I, I chuckled. And that's just one of the examples that you have there. Like a lot of the dialogue is really, really funny. Um, the way that it, the actors deliver it, the way it works in the scene. There, there are a lot of really good moments and Doctor Strange thinks that he's a really funny guy and he's always trying to crack jokes and then the people around him just stare at him blankly and it just doesn't work but you as the audience obviously you're cracking up because it's hilarious how he's just like I'm funny you don't think I'm funny but it's actually hilarious um, I'm not doing it justice here but trust me on that and then once he actually becomes Doctor Strange as we well I assume as we know him, not that I did, because I've never read the comic books, but you know, when, once he gets his cape. I did not know that this cape had a life of its own. All the scenes with the cape were hi absolutely hilarious. It has a life of its own. It's an artifact and it chooses him as its symbiote or whatever. So it, it can fly, it's a cape of levitation or whatever. And it has a life of its own and it, it it's like it's imbued with spirit or something. Um, and he's trying to like grab a weapon when Mads Mikkelsen attacks him. And the cape is keeping him from getting the weapon and is trying to show him to, to get something else. And he's like, why, why, why is this happening? And what you see on screen is Cumberbatch trying to walk to the right, but the cape yanking him to the left. And so he's just standing still while, while walking to the right. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. And then the cape, he, he's kind of agreeing. It's like, okay, the cape is, is stronger than me. He grabs the thing that it wants him to grab. And the fight with Mikkelsen is immediately over. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? And there are things later on where the cape just shows its personality. And it's just so endearing. Like, 
I really ended up liking Doctor Strange and not because I like Doctor Strange but because I like the cape. It's all about the cape for me, I absolutely love it. So the entire film basically is like a trippy LSD flick with some funny dialogue here and there, some really cool action sequences and the antagonist Mikkelsen, he's like any MCU antagonist, he's horribly underused. You have a great actor there, Matt Mikkelsen is fantastic, but what he stands for makes absolutely no sense. He's trying to bring about the destruction of the world because he is worshipping an entity out of a dark dimension. But I'm not sure what Mikkelsen's actually trying to achieve by worshipping this entity from the dark dimension because all this entity wants is destroy everything including Matt Mikkelsen. So why would, like, he's he's too intelligent to fall for this, so I don't really get it. It made no sense to me, and because I think if the if the story, if the plot made a bit more sense and, and had a bit more oomph behind it and wasn't as ludicrous as it is, the film would have been absolutely grand. I mean, I know that a lot of people are saying Doctor Strange is their favorite MCU film or it's a really great film and they absolutely loved it. While I was watching it, I was thoroughly entertained from A to Z. I thought it was a very entertaining film because you had great action sequences, you had funny dialogue, you had great actors performing really, really well. But it is the narrative, the, the story, just there was too much missing. It was too simplistic. I just didn't really care. You, you always knew this, this disembodied entity out of the dark realm, of course, wouldn't succeed. You always knew that that was going to happen. And it's, it's just, some of the stuff that happens later when Strange is trying to battle this, this entity that no one else could battle except for Doctor Strange, even though he's the newest addition to the Astral Corpse or whatever we want to call him. It's absolutely ridiculous that he has, he's the one that, that does it. And you end up in a bit of a Groundhog Day loop, which is kind of funny, but it's like, seriously, no one else could have thought of something like that? You, He basically annoys the shit out of the main bad guy until the main bad guy goes, okay, what do you want? I give you whatever you want, just stop annoying me. That's pretty much the end of the film. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. It, it's The film is ludicrous, but still manages to entertain. One of my friends who loves uh, Marvel, he absolutely loved the film. My other friend, the first thing she said to me after the film was over was, this is the last Marvel film I will ever watch. I've had it. I was like, okay. I'm kind of in between. I didn't love it. I also didn't hate it. I thought it was, it was a decent flick. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Out of the three that I was talking about, Queen of Catway, Jack Reacher 2 and Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange definitely is the strongest film of all three of them. The story is bullshit, but the way it's done is very, very entertaining. The script was... They, they were conscious enough to actually imbue it with a lot of humor. There's a lot of humor in the script and there's a lot of humor in the dialogue, in, in the performances. The actors clearly had a lot of fun with what they were doing. And it, it shows. It, it's really, really good. Forget about the story. I, I watch things for characters. Now, I don't really care about the LSD trip. That is the visual effects fest. But it's well done. I love Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. But then, I don't know the comic books. There was a huge hoopla about her playing this character. Because apparently this is ridiculous that she she is playing this character. I think she did it really well. Um, I mean, I love Tilda Swinton in general. Again, as always, she plays extraordinary characters and really weird characters very, very well. And she did that here as well. I thought the performances were all really well done. Um, the action sequences are mind-blowingly crazy, actually. The, the story and the resolution are stupid, ludicrous and silly. But maybe that is what they were going for. I mean, the, the entire thing is about, you know, people are waving their hands into thin air and all of a sudden they're creating like a door to somewhere else and stuff like that. It's, it's just like they're, they're riding in thin air and then stuff happens. I was like, okay, well, you know, why shouldn't that be a superpower if someone can breathe fire or shoot lasers out of their eyes, you know, fair enough. 
It's not my favorite MCU film that is still reserved for Guardians of the Galaxy. But I think this de definitely, you know, it, it sinks or swims, I think, depending on what you think of Cumberbatch. If you like him as Doctor Strange, I think you will thoroughly enjoy this film. If you don't like him, I don't think this film's for you at all. The film is really, really ludicrous. Like, the, the story, you can just shake your head at the shit that they're trying to tell you. It's bullshit. It's absolute ridiculous, bonkers crap. But it's wrapped in really nice, shiny wrapping paper. And it looks good. And it's funny and it's humorous and it's charming. So if you like that, I think you'll enjoy the film. Just don't go, don't go there turning on your logical brain because it's not gonna work. Just turn all of that off, munch your popcorn, drink your coke, go for it. I think you'll really enjoy that. And the best thing about it actually is the teaser trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was playing in front of it. But I think it was only playing if you went to the normal cinema. If you went to the IMAX, I don't think they were showing that teaser. One of my mates told me they didn't see the teaser and they watch it in IMAX. So maybe don't go and see the IMAX, just so you can see the teaser trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 on the big screen. Me and my mate, we were having fun. The, the teaser trailer started and we were like, hang on a minute, could this be? And then the music started and we were like, ooga chaka, ooga, ooga, ooga chaka, ooga, ooga. And we were like, yeah, baby, this is it, this is it. So we were already in this whole, in the zone for Marvel. And then we watched the teaser trailer and it was fantastic. And we loved it. And then my other mate was like, I'm not watching Guardians of the Galaxy. This looks stupid. She'd never even seen the first one, which is why she didn't understand the trailer. Um, because I think you're not going to understand the trailer unless you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. But yeah, so she, she hates Marvel now, I think. She doesn't really care. But I loved it. I loved the trailer. I enjoyed Doctor Strange. Albeit their story is really stupid. But it's still a lot of fun. Also, as always, stick around after the credits. Not just the first bit of the credits. There are two scenes. One is at the very, very end of the credits. So do stick around. There were loads of people leaving while we were watching it. And we were like, mate, you're missing the stuff after the credits. People were leaving and missed out. So don't do that. Stick around. Watch the entire credits. Chat about what you thought about the film, and then there's the, the last scene. There are two scenes. One is halfway through the credits, and the other one's at the very end. Stick around for it. It's worth it. Well, maybe it's not worth it, depending on how you look at it. I don't really want to tell you what it is. So that was Doctor Strange. Uh, definitely the highlight of the week for me. Um, I was supposed to see I, Daniel Blake, which I didn't do, but that is on my list now for next week. That is definitely going to happen. Next week's um, Cinema Delights will be probably Light Between Oceans, um, the Alicia Vikander, Michael Fassbender film. Trolls, I know what you think, but it fits perfectly between film number one and film number three. And film number three is I, Daniel Blake, which is a UK film that, well, I'll tell you about, about it next week. Look it up, it's something you need to see, most definitely. Don't forget, hit me up on weeklywatchcast at gmail.com. That's weeklywatchcast, all one word, at gmail.com. I'm putting that in the show notes as well. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what you're watching, um, what you potentially want me to watch. Maybe there's a film you want me to watch. If it's a good one or a bad one, doesn't matter. Send any recommendations my way. Uh, let me know what you think of Queen of Cutway, Jack Reacher 2, and Doctor Strange, or any other films or TV shows that you watch. And until next week, I bid thee farewell. Bye-bye.